Our memory verse for this mini-series is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. And it is, don't you realize that your body is the temple of this Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You know, even if you're not the kind of person who feels comfortable raising your hand and coming up here and and reciting the verse in front of everyone, I would still really encourage you to take the time and the discipline um, to learn that verse. I was in a men's small group Bible study a number of years ago, and the curriculum was very heavy in memorizing verses. And we would have two or three verses that we would memorize and then recite back to the, the two or three guys in our group. And it was not easy for me. It was not the kind of thing where I could, the night before, pull out the verse, read it a couple times, and be able to just recite it. I had to really work at it. Um, and so I would put this, this is dating myself because probably nobody writes things down on paper now, but I would put this on a three by five card and stick it in my pocket and just have it so that as I was trying to go through it and I would get stuck, I could just pull it out and, and unstuck myself. And uh, it just was really helpful. And that was a time where I was going through a really tough time at work, very stressful, a lot of anxiety for that. And it was so powerful the time that I had put into learning those verses to be able to um, have them at the tip of my mind to go through them when I was really in a crunch. And sometimes if I was alone, it needed to be out loud in order for that to really um, sink in. But the time that I put into that really paid itself back. So I would encourage you, even if you don't plan to get up here and do that, um, to still take the time. Okay, so our um, scripture for today that Sean's going to preach on is 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 1 through 9, and it reads, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority, of her, authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations until you both agree to refrain from sexual in, unless excuse me unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And this is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Sean, I just want to thank you for giving me that scripture. That breaks an all-time... Welcome all -time... to service hosting, Todd. Yes. <laughs> that breaks an all-time record for the number of times I've said sexual in church. So yes. thank you for that. Well, there you go. Yeah what we're here to do, making memorable moments. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited that we are tackling this subject uh, and, and talking about this because 2,000 years ago, Paul decided that it was important for the church. And Paul didn't just willy-nilly decide about it or read it on Twitter at the time 2,000 years ago that, hey, maybe we should talk about sex. God inspired Paul to write this letter to the early church 2,000 years ago. Because these people were living in a culture in Corinth that was over-sexualized, and you had Christians trying to do the right thing, and they're trying to figure out, like, how do I, 
how do I live out my sexuality uh, in, in this culture and what I feel is right and what I, uh, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And so that pendulum swings and Paul is addressing some questions, right? You saw it at the beginning. He says, I'm answering some of the questions. So there's been more correspondence that we don't quite see, but you have this Christian culture that's trying to swing this pendulum and they're going to either overindulge and do whatever they want and say, well, I guess I can just in- enjoy the culture that I'm in. Or we're going to get over conservative and you had uh, this almost Puritan-esque, Quaker-esque uh, sexuality and prudency and all of that that was happening in the Corinthian church. Sex is wrong and it's immoral and it's bad and ah, we shouldn't talk about it. And people even get into this point where they're retracting and saying, I'm going to start questioning even my relationships. Should I get married? Should I not get married? Should we only have sex to procreate and that's it and that's the only reason? Or should we, you know, uh, should I stay engaged? Should I get single, you know, what, what, what should I be doing, and, and should we have celibate spouses, should we have sexually active singles, what, ah, and all of these questions, right, and you imagine Paul's text thread, what that would have been, but please text your questions, in because I'm really uh, anxiously optimistic about what's going to come through that text thread, and it is completely anonymous, by the way, I have no idea who you are, uh, unless you put your name on it, but that's bold. Surprisingly, up until this point, we're at week three in this series, we've had less questions than, than uh, previous mini-series that we've done. So I'm, I'm, sex is okay to talk about in church. God designed sex. He knows your feelings. He knows your desires. He knows what's going on. And Paul is writing this letter because he believes, even as a single man writing this letter, Paul believes that sex is from God. And he's writing to this broad audience of a variety of relationship statuses, right? You think about the church today and the group that we have here gathered online and in person, diverse group. Paul's writing to a church that is diverse. You've got married people, engaged people. You've got single people. You've got divorced people. You've got widowed people. You've got the full gamut of relationships. You've got newlyweds. You've got oldlyweds. Oldlyweds. I don't know where I'm at in that spectrum. It's been uh, 16 years. I don't know where I fit. I'm not newlywed anymore. I know that. But Paul's encouraging them to embrace the season that they're in. Later on in chapter 7, which Todd did not read this verse, but I will. It says in verse 17, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. If you're single, be single. If you're divorced, be divorced. If you're married, be married. If you're engaged, be engaged. Paul is, is talking to them and, and doing this in a way, what I, I think he's getting at is trying to remove the subliminal messaging that we sometimes pick up in church that married people are the pinnacle and everybody else is inferior. I grew up in church. The idea of growing up and being single never came up as an option. And yet Paul talks about being single as a good thing. Sometimes we make marriage the pinnacle, the end-all, be-all, and unmarried folks feel like, where do I fit in church? Because the pastor always talks about being married, and we've got married groups and married life groups, and bring your spouse to this and bring your kids to that, and I don't fit in that church, I guess. I think what Paul is getting at here in this, in this letter and in this point is, is he's also addressing single people and saying, hey, being single is not a bad thing. We don't need to be fixed. You're not a problem. If you're a single person, be single. Enjoy the season that God has put you in. Divorce, 
It was a part of the Corinthian church. It's a part of the, the church today in 2022. If you are divorced, man, we, we, we want to contend for marriage and reconciliation and wholeness in those, in those marriage covenants, but we understand that circumstances lead to a point where divorce is a reality. It's painful. I heard one pastor describe divorce being like having a limb amputated. Sometimes it has to happen, but you live with that for the rest of your life. And as a, as a child that grew up in divorce, man, I, I can feel that, and I wasn't even divorced. I was the child of it. But how do we as a church create a space where married people aren't the heroes, single people aren't the, you know, you're in waiting, and then the divorced people are on the margins? How do we create a space where engaged and dating people aren't seen as, yeah, you're in puppy love now, but just wait? You kind of hear that in church sometimes. Oh, you guys are dating, you're in love, just wait. <laughs> you feel that tension in the relationships? Paul's writing to that. We're living in that as well. And we never want to demean, belittle, rank, uh, you know, uh, we just don't want people to feel lesser than because of the relationship status that you're in. I don't want to force anybody into relationship status. I don't believe Paul did either. And I think what Paul wants and what I want is that whatever season you're in, man, may that be the season you flourish with Jesus. Look at verse 35. Again, Todd did not read this one because it would have been 20 minutes of reading chapter 7. But I am saying this to you for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. You feel that freedom right there? This is a benefit. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. If you're single, be single. If you're married, be married. If you're divorced, be divorced. Right? It is what it is, and live in that season. And Paul is representing the full spectrum of relationships, so are we. And I think the question today is how do we honor God with our sexuality in this current relationship status you are in? How do you do that? And Paul gives guidelines and guardrails for people. It says, play within these parameters. It's grace and it's truth. And he gives these parameters and these guidelines, and I was thinking about it this week because um, go with me on this illustration. Uh, I have my 10-year-old my daughter's birthday party, and we had a bunch of 10-year-old girls go to the trampoline zone up in Bellingham, right? That was fun. We drive them all up there after going to Red Robin, and we we're bouncing around and doing all this stuff, right? And they've got all, I mean, if you've never been up there, it's just this giant warehouse with trampolines and jumpy things and activities, dodgeball, slides, ball pits, obstacle courses, all of these different things, right? For two hours, just go burn 2,000 calories, kids. And please don't upchuck the Red Robin we just put in you. Just go. And I found myself thinking about it later uh, because I'm sitting there for two hours with my wife, April. We're just sitting at the picnic table, and there's part of me, that inner child, that wanted to go bounce. I wanted to go jump, and I didn't have the grippy socks, and I didn't pay admission for me to go bounce. So guess what I had to do? Watch. Everybody else have fun. <laughs> I wanted to bounce. I wanted to slam dunk that basketball, jump it off a trampoline, and be like, yes, I can, I can actually dunk a ball when I use a trampoline. I can do it. You know, I wanted to hit some kid playing dodgeball. Bam! <laughs> do these things. And you feel this, like, unsettled feeling inside as you're sitting on this very uncomfortable picnic table for two hours checking the Mariners' score. And I got a little upset inside. I want to jump around. But I didn't pay the price. I didn't pay the admission. 
And then I noticed this dynamic, and parents in the room, you can relate to this. I've just forked over all the cash for 10 little 10-year-olds to go jump around and have a blast for two hours, and what do they want to do? Play at the arcade. No, I'm not paying for you to do the claw game. Get away. Go bounce. I paid for you to go bounce, go jump, go swing on the rope swing, go do those things, right? Have fun within these parameters. Ignore that over there. That's not for you. (laughs) And yet, what do they want to do? Can I have 25 cents? I need a bouncy ball that I'll lose on the car ride home. (laughs) And they play with the arcade games even though they don't have money. And I just... I was baffled and boggled and almost infuriated. Go jump, go play, go play within this room that we've created for you. We've given you access to this. And I think in the context of this conversation, there's some of us that are going to fit the description of the one sitting kind of like, I wish I could go play. I wish I could participate in that. And then we're going to have other people like, they're missing what they get to do because they're so focused on what they can't do. Married, single, whatever your relationship status is, we focus so much on what we can't do. And that's how Bible and sexuality sometimes become equated. Oh, it's a bunch of rules that are rigid and, 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 and containing, and we forget, oh man, look at everything that's been opened up for us. Look at the freedom in our sexuality that we do have. And Paul begins with these guidelines and guardrails within marriage and singleness to help us see what we get to do. And in this passage, he addresses specific people groups. And first, he jumps right in on talking about marriage in verse 3 through 4. Because he believes, even though he is a single man himself, he believes that sex is good within marriage. Verses 3 through 4. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Pause and think about how progressive that was. We read that in the 2022 lens, and we think, yeah, that makes sense. Paul's writing at a time where women were considered property, and he's infusing equality into the marriage bed. Men, give your body over to your wife. Wives, give your bodies over to your husbands because they are there for each other. Marriage is this united, the marital bed is a united place of commitment and two becoming one. We see that in Genesis and throughout the scriptures, two becoming one. It It is a bond that is united physically through sex emotionally through sex, that intimacy that is bonded, right? But a a modern reader is going to cringe when they read, a wife should fulfill her husband, should give authority over, right? The modern reader is going to, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Why? Because we've heard this text preached through a toxic masculinity that says, women, it's your fault. You're an object again. We've heard these texts and we've seen a a toxic masculinity both inside the church and outside of the church that says the man gets what he wants and the woman is just the object of desire that is supposed to do whatever he says. And this is where it gets a little uncomfortable talking about this in church because I've heard sermons that demean and dehumanize women. I've heard podcasts and preachers that I admired and then you hear these messages and basically blaming women for their, their husbands' lustful pursuits. Their husbands at home looking at porn, and they're blaming the wife at church, saying, if you just wore this and 
changed this and put this on your face and changed your hair and changed your appearance and did all this. And, and I've heard sermons that blame the wife for the husband's sin. So no, no wonder the modern reader's going to cringe when they read this, right? Can we just call that, that, that messaging what it is? Garbage? And that is the PG version of what I want to say. That is garbage. That is a broken view of sexuality that says one is greater than the other. That one person is greater than the other. Because Paul is equating men and women as equals in the marriage bed. It's not about just what the husband wants. It's about what the, what the wife needs and wants too. Her desires matter just as much as the husband's desires. God has created sex between husband and wife and that is a good thing. I'd have you repeat it, but that might feel a little awkward. (laughs) Sex is a good thing between a husband and a wife. The marriage bed, think about this for a moment. The marriage bed is meant to be a microcosm of what's happening outside of the bedroom. The same selflessness and sacrifice and devotion and mutual care that happens outside of the bedroom should be happening inside of the bedroom. This is where we start to get a little PG-13. But when I'm Outside of my house with my wife, I should be selfless and sacrificial and caring about her and concerned about her. The same thing should be true in the marriage bed. It is a microcosm of what happens outside of the bedroom. Caring for each other's needs, desires, the physical, the emotional, the sexual, that selfless intimacy, what is that going to foster between a husband and a wife when we're selfless like that? When both partners are contending for what's best for their partner, there's unity, there's wholeness. That's two becoming one. Everything else is one dominating the other, one hurting the other, one dehumanizing and demeaning the other. That is not what Paul is about. That is not what the gospel is about. And as we continue to look at this passage, what do we see? Sex is a consistent rhythm within a marriage when possible. Verse 5. Here's one you don't hear a lot on Valentine's Day, but... Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. I don't hear that one a lot. Afterward, you should come back together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you and because of your lack of self-control. So what Paul is, is illustrating and what he's speaking to is you had Christians who were saying maybe we shouldn't have sex at all. Maybe we should just give up this whole sex thing because that's impure and wrong and we'll only do it to multiply and, and have babies. And what Paul is speaking to is, yeah, there's an intentional time of fasting from that intimacy, but you need to come back together. Often when we talk about fasting and self-denial, we don't talk about the sex. We talk about what? Giving up food. Right? Or I'm going to give up social media for a month, or I'll give up food for you know, today. And, and when we fast, what do we do? We give something up so that we can pursue Jesus. Anytime we talk about fasting, I'm giving up food so that I can go spend those meal times in pursuit of Jesus, in prayer and worship and Bible study. If I'm giving up social media, it's not just the denial, it is also the pursuit of Christ. And so what Paul is talking about is, is a form of fasting that a lot of married couples probably don't want to do, right? Nobody's signing up. I've never in marriage counseling ever had somebody say, you know what, Sean, I think we just need to stop having sex, and and we should be praying more, and that's going to heal this husband-wife dynamic that's going on. They're like, Pastor, just, you know, I think we need to pray more and not have sex. I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. 
But just like when we fast from food, this is a temporary sacrifice, not an indefinite sacrifice. And I think Paul would also understand, though, that there's sometimes circumstances and reasons where that rhythm gets interrupted for health, for age, for, for different reasons and circumstances, travel, work, whatever, you're separated from each other. There's various reasons, and, and, and I believe that what that just requires is understanding and communication. But what Paul is clearly mentioning, too, is that sex is not supposed to be a weapon. You know that classic um, sitcom trope? It's one of the reasons I hated, like, everybody loves Raymond. Everyone loves Raymond, except for Sean. Uh, because I felt like in that show, sex was always weaponized, right? From both parties, the husband and the wife, right? It was like, do, do your honeydew list, and then you get rewarded. Oh, I'm going to withhold, and then you're going to do what I want, and then we'll enjoy each other's company. It's, it's a classic cultural trope where, you know, you get one spouse holding it over begrudgingly against the other and once they finish their tasks at hand, once they mow the lawn, then they can have sex. Like, that's not what Paul's talking about because that behavior is sinful and hurtful and divisive because you're using it as a weapon. You're not using it to bridge intimacy and wholeness in the relationship. But what Paul is getting at is if you're going to stop having sex for a period of time, that is meant to be re-engaged after, after you pause, after you fast from it. But it should never be held over should never be withheld in that way of control. In reading this passage of Scripture, what I see is sex is supposed to be a consistent, selfless, healthy, positive, life-giving rhythm in a marriage. It's designed by God. He wants a husband and wife to be engaged in that on a, on a, on a consistent basis when possible. But I also believe God understands the circumstances that would cause that not to happen, and there should be grace and communication. Then Paul shifts his gears and brings singleness into the conversation. So he's talking to married people, and now he's going to talk to the single people in Corinth in verse 6 through 8. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. And all the teenagers rejoice when they read, it's not a command, it's just a request. I grew up in youth group thinking, I'm glad it's not a command, right? We, some of us don't want to be single forever. And some of us do want to be single forever. But what Paul gets at here is to view our relationship status as a gift. And my challenge for us to think about for a moment is, how would our outlook change if we viewed your current relationship status not as a detriment but as a gift? So whether you're a teenager or an older adult, whatever relationship status you're in, view it as a gift. Your marriage is a gift. Your singleness is a gift. Whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, it's a gift. Because he says, right, each person has a special gift from God. So the season you're in is a gift. And it begs the question, well, how can singleness be a gift? Because I get how marriage can be a gift, right? So people would hear that and they say, okay, it's a gift. We're two united with one. And 
there's companionship and the camaraderie and all of that. But singleness, Paul says it's okay to be single. And, and if you can be single and go for it, you should go for it. Be single, right? In our culture, singleness is not always viewed as a gift. Sometimes it can be a gift because in our culture they'd say being single is a gift because you can do whatever you want. How many of you see that in pop culture? Being single is awesome because I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I can spend how I want to spend. I can sleep how I want to sleep. I can leave the dishes wherever I want to leave the dishes, right? And you're not tied down. You have more freedom, more flexibility, your time, your money, your sexuality. It's freedom. And that's the culture that we see in pop culture and this idea of singleness being a gift. Uh, but Paul's not getting at, hey, singleness is a gift because you get to do whatever the heck you want. Singleness is different, yes. You have a, a different flexibility and a different freedom and a different season of life that you're in. It, it is different, but it's not different so that you can just Xbox and Netflix and go traveling and go spend your money however you want to spend and indulge in your sexuality however you want. Paul's saying singleness is a gift because you have a, a greater flexibility and freedom to serve the Lord. And he talks about this for a bit, and this ability to go and you think about Paul. He's a missionary, man. He's traveling all over the place and going from place to place to place to place and doing all these things and preaching and teaching and writing letters and getting thrown in prison and all of this stuff, right? Being single, he had the flexibility that a married person didn't have. And so he's saying, view that as a gift because you can do something that a married person can't. You have a flexibility in income, a flexibility in schedule, flexibility in all these different things. That is a gift for the season that you're in. Do that. Use that. Embrace that as a gift. But he also understands that single, married, whatever it is, we, we do have a desire, a desire for companionship, a desire for intimacy, a desire uh, to indulge our sexuality. And you see that when he says, if you can't, if, in verse 9, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. And that, to me, as, I, as I've read it and studied it, what I see Paul saying is, whether you're single, you're dating, you're engaged, um, some of the guardrails and guidelines he's saying is you don't get to just do whatever you want. And our culture says, well, if you're not tied down, go and explore, be curious, go enjoy, and just there's no consequences to that. And Paul's kind of saying, well, you're going to have those desires, but you don't just get to do whatever you want with those. You're going to exhibit some self-control and some self-denial. That's not fun. But that's exhibited in the gospel. Called to live a lifestyle of self-denial and, and, and sacrifice and self-control. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control, meaning a byproduct of the Holy Spirit being in my life is a, a life of gentleness and kindness and joy and love and goodness and self-control. That's over the single, dating, engaged. Because, and I bring in single, single, dating, and engaged, and widowed, and divorced. They're in that season because if you're dating and engaged, you're not married. And I think that's what Paul would say too. And I'll tell you from my own personal story, when you feel like you found the one, and you're going to spend the rest of your life, you're kind of like, okay, but we're going to be together anyways. And I'll tell you a bit of our story. I'll peel back the curtain, okay? Can I do that? 
I, I get permission for these things, by the way, from my wife. But part of our story is that we, we just got so caught up in that romance and that companionship and that camaraderie and being together and then that, what does Paul call it? Burning with lust. <laughs> that even is, as young college students going to Bible college, feeling called to ministry, feeling called to, that we were going to be married to each other when we were dating and then when we got engaged, we still indulged in what Paul's describing. We allowed our desire and our emotion to control our choices. We had sex before we were married. Not proud of it. It was a lot to overcome through conversations and counseling and prayer and realizing, like, yeah, I'm living in sin. And there was a period of time where we were going to church and serving in our church and living in darkness, living in sin. And we didn't want to tell anybody. We hid it. And I needed somebody. I can only speak for myself. I needed somebody to give me grace, but also give me truth, and look me in the eye and say, Sean, you need to stop it. You're not married yet. You're, you're, you're wanting to enjoy the perks of marriage without yet being committed, without counting that cost, without making that covenant, making that commitment to April as your wife. You're, just, you're ahead of yourself. And I needed that. And I think sometimes in life, we need people that will be honest with us and say, hey, if you're hiding your choices, if you're making these different choices, like, there's another way that we can do this. And, and yeah, it's going to exhibit self-control and self-denial and a bit of sacrifice. But it's not just the single people that got to do that. Think about married people. We're called, if you're married in the room, you're called to exhibit self-control, sacrifice, denial. You don't get to just do whatever you want. You don't get to just explore your sexuality and indulge in however you want. No, I've made a commitment to my wife that she is the one and only for me. That is a commitment. That is a devotion. That is a denial to my flesh that wants and desires other things and other people, right? We have to deny that within the covenant marriage bond that we've created. So it's not just single people that Paul's creating guardrails and, and, and guidelines for. He's doing it for married people, single people, all people. We're called to live this out. But as I read this passage and what Paul is getting at, regardless of our relationship status, I think he sees it as a choice for all of us. Singleness is a good thing. Paul encourages it. He doesn't demand it, doesn't command it, but he encourages it. Hey, singleness is not a bad thing. So if you're single today, I don't want you to think you're lesser, you're inferior, you're worse off. Oh, I just pray till you get married. If you're single, it's a good thing. But as Paul says, it's not for everybody. And if you're married, marriage is a good thing. But you ain't everything. And marriage is not for everyone. So I see Paul giving us a choice. Choose to be single, choose to be married. Whatever it is, whatever your relationship status is, how do I live with a sexuality that would be characterized by the gospel in that context? I'm a married man. I've got to live with a gospel-centered sexuality within the covenant of my marriage. If I was a single man, I would have to do the same thing, but within the confines of my singleness. Think for a moment how you would characterize the gospel. 
Shout it out. Let's get a little Pentecostal for two seconds. What characteristics would you use to describe the gospel? Pause on sexuality for two seconds, okay? I know we all got that theme on our mind. Just think about the gospel in its simplicity. Jesus coming to earth, dying in our place, being the sacrifice for our sins, making us right with God, giving us hope, giving us eternity, washing away our sins and our mistakes and our brokenness and bringing wholeness to us and God the Father. Amen? That's the gospel. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it. I didn't get enough gold stars. God loved me first and you first. Then just love me. Loved us first before we loved him. I got to be careful on that because sometimes you're like, yeah, I get it, pastor. He loves you. What words we use to describe the gospel? Just shout them out from where you're at. Shout them so the, the podcast can hear it. Grace. The gospel is described as grace. Love. Mercy. Instruction. Truth. What? There's patience in the gospel. God's patience with his people. Yes. Sacrificial. Empowering. The gospel empowers us. Does the gospel bring joy? Yeah. Is the gospel life-giving? Yes. Is the gospel a gospel of self-control? You once were a slave to sin, but now I'm a child of God. You just sang about it. If I'm a child of God, okay, I'm not going to indulge in all this stuff anymore. This is who I used to be. That man is dead and gone. I have been raised to new life in Christ. I am a new creation. That is the gospel in its essence, the words that you used. A gospel of devotion. The gospel is a paradox because it's both inclusive and exclusive at the same time, right? It's inclusive in that anyone is welcome, which I wouldn't necessarily categorize works with today's topic, being inclusive, right? Sexuality being inclusive. Yeah, don't go there. But exclusive at the same time. The gospel is for everyone, but the gospel also calls us to a point of exclusion where I'm not going to partake in the things of my culture in the same way that I used to. I'm in the world, but not of the world. That's what Jesus said. There's a devotion and a care and a commitment I think what Paul is getting at is take all those attributes of the gospel and categorize or characterize your sexuality and your current status with those same words. Loving, empowering, truth, gracious, sacrificial, devoted, life-giving, gracious, merciful. All of these loving, great descriptions of the gospel need to characterize our sexuality. And my prayer for this series, my prayer for today, is that you hear my heart. I am not here to sin hunt. I don't have a scope trained on all of you. I didn't make a list of who I need to talk to after today's message. I don't. So my intent here is not to shame and embarrass you. We've all made mistakes. We will all fall short of God's design and God's plan and God's best for us in our singleness or in our marriages. But my, my, my intent with this series, my intent with today is for us to look at the word of God and wrestle with it together, to, to grapple with these truths and then to respond to it. And some of us today might need to stop and we need to stop and just confess, man, God, I, I, I'm broken, I'm living in sin, I'm living in darkness, I'm living in habits that I know I shouldn't. And you're gonna confess, not from the front, 
You're not going to have to come up and do that in that way. You can confess right from your seat. You can repent, make a U-turn with Jesus. I think some of us need to have an honest conversation with somebody in our lives. You need to have a tough conversation with somebody. Some of us may need to start making a change. Some of us may need to just stop and think and pray and discuss some of this stuff more. Some of us today just need to be reminded that our Heavenly Father loves you. I think in its simplest form, some of us today just need to be reminded, hey, my dad loves you. Your dad loves you. We are broken people. We will make mistakes. And this can be a place of grace where we follow Jesus together. Where we discover the wholeness and flourishing that he has for us. In our sexuality, whether we're married or single. That's my hope. That's my intent. I have no idea what text questions have come in. I have no idea how God's stirring you in this moment. Can we just stop and we just pray? I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love. That you loved us before we loved you. You loved us before we made a decision to say yes to you. You loved us before our life was cleaned up, so to speak. That is the good news. And Jesus, we want to respond to the good news. In fact, if there's anybody even today, we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about who Jesus is. Anybody today that just wants to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, no one's looking around. We're not going to embarrass you or drag you up front, put a spotlight on you. But if you just want to say yes to following Jesus, you're going to be perfect? No. You're going to make mistakes? Yes. You're going to have all the answers? No. But you want to say yes to following a God that loved you first. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for being the God of our life. Be the king of our life. We admit our brokenness. We admit our sin, our selfishness, our mistakes. God, some of it's just mistakes. We didn't know any better. I pray that you would heal, you would restore, you would make us new in you, Jesus. I pray for those that have been hurt in the past, that you would heal. This topic brings up pain from our past. Relationships, choices, habits. But God, you're a God that wants to restore and build up. I pray for anyone that is hurting, that you restore them. I pray if we are living and, and making choices that we know are wrong, God, I just pray that you would forgive us and you'd give us clarity to walk in wholeness with you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.